Welcome back or welcome to the Life Well Podcast. I'm Katherine Young, your host, and we're back this week with another episode to find some resources for the intersection of our faith and our mental health. Our last episode dropped on Valentine's Day and I heard that love was in the air. I hope that some vulnerability was in the air too. On today's episode, we've got lots of things to get into. We've got to review homework. We've got to talk about our special topic for today. We've got to do a little bit of digging. We got to check in with the woman at the well. And of course, we have to dig a little bit deeper. So you already know in these episodes at this point, you need a journal or your notes app or something. So go ahead and get your things out. Get comfy. Do y'all eat snacks when you're watching this episode? Because I eat snacks when I'm editing. So it is my hope that you are as comfortable as you possibly can be in addition to being well. And if you're not well, I hope that you become well and prayerfully, we all stay well. Let's get into the thing. So let's start here. We have officially hit 100 followers on Instagram. Huge fan. Y'all know how I feel about creating and celebrating. So big ups for all of you over here at the Life Well Company, at the Life Well Podcast. I still don't have a name for what our community is called, but it will come when it's necessary. But for right now, thank you, thank you, thank you for all of you who have been reposting, sharing, doing all of the things to help our community grow. We have 100 followers on Instagram. I'm not 100% sure on how many we have on TikTok. I know we're not at 100 yet. And you'll find out when we are because I'm going to create and celebrate about it because it deserves to be acknowledged. So again, thank you. Thank you so much. If you are not already following us on all of our social media platforms, make sure you do at The Life Well Co on Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. We don't have a Facebook, but I have a Facebook. I have recently gotten some commentary about my personal social media platforms. It never really dawned on me to kind of pub that, but I guess I will. If you're interested in locking in with me on my day-to-day life, you can follow me at Catherine and three E's, three underscores. There is no logic. There is no significance. There is nothing about why I put those extra letters other than the fact that my actual name, just Catherine Ann, was already taken on Instagram. Now, I will go ahead and warn you, if you follow me, you're kind of probably getting yourself into some very intermittent posts about my actual life. I don't know what it is about Instagram these days. It's like I'll post for like three to four days and then I won't post at all for like two weeks. I'm working on it, you know, because I'm posting all of the things for the podcast. But if you want to lock in with me on social media, you are more than welcome to. The most recent adventure that you would have seen if you do follow me on Instagram was Valentine's Day. Like I said, love was in the air and I went to a ballet for the very first time in my adult life and I absolutely loved it. It was a beautiful time. We went out to eat. We watched them dance. We saw the show. The show was called Complexions. It was hosted at a local university here in my hometown. And I, 10 out of 10, 10 out of 10. If you have never gone to a ballet and you love dance, you need to go see a show like the one that I did. It was a beautiful way to spend Valentine's Day. But I realized once I got home, that it really did put a demand on one of my mental resources, which one? Courage. So I initially planned my Valentine's Day because I knew that I'd be spending it alone. Um, So I looked for things in the city to do, different things that would give me some type of joy or excitement. And then randomly one day, one of my friends asked me, hey, what are you doing for Valentine's Day? And I didn't reach out to anyone about what to do with a gal pal because I didn't want to bother anybody, to be completely honest. 
And for her to reach out and ask me what I was doing kind of met my need of wanting to go to the ballet with someone, even though I was too afraid to ask. So I was so grateful that she reached out because we had the time of our lives. You have no idea. We went to a new restaurant. We were just acting like this wasn't even the city we lived in. Like we were in New York City or something. It was a fabulous time. But in reflecting on my courage, I did kind of have to ask myself, like, why didn't you just ask somebody to go with you? Like, what would have been the biggest repercussion? Them saying no, that rejection, ugh, that fear, right? And that brings us into our topic for today. Today, we're talking about what it's like to be scared. What does fear do to our mental health? What does fear do to our physical health? What does it do to our spiritual health? and our relationship with our communities and ultimately with Christ. So I hope you have your journal out because we're getting started early. I have mine again. For those of you who reached out asking, I did not make this. No, I did not. I got this from the greatest store on earth, Target. Um, so if you have your journal or your notes app, go ahead and get that ready because I have one very simple question for you. What are you afraid of? Okay, so very valid, but very open-ended question. What are you afraid of? So let's get into it. Y'all remember last week when I told you in the power of vulnerability, I was out, I was running, I was on the trail, and I was waiting to hear, you know, God speak to me in this strong voice and heaven's harp start to play as he gave me some context about the situation that I was going through and that did not happen. I didn't hear God's voice audibly, um, even though I did get some revelation from that encounter. You know what I did hear audibly? footsteps, people out there riding their bikes up against the dirt. I heard animals. I told y'all I was sitting right in front of a lake, bloop, 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 all of these different things. And what did that make me want to do more than anything? Get up and leave. Why? Because I'm afraid. So yes, I run outside, but I'm not a big fan of the outdoors. There's too many factors contributing to this whole situation that I am afraid of. I actually am afraid of a lot of things. So I can go ahead and answer that question. I can get us started. I'm afraid of water. I'm afraid of big dogs. I'm afraid of bridges, specifically driving on bridges. Um, what else am I afraid of? I'm afraid of all reptiles. I'm afraid of amphibians. The list goes on and on and on. Seriously, it can go on for days. Like there's a lot of um, thunder. I'm afraid of thunder. It, it's a whole situation. There's lots of things that I'm afraid of. But you want to know what I'm really afraid of? It's not necessarily the water itself, right? Because when I used to tell people that when I was a kid, they would be like, oh, you're afraid of water? How do you take showers? Ugh, I'm not afraid of water. I'm afraid of what water can do. I'm afraid of drowning. I'm afraid of things that live in water. I'm not necessarily afraid of the bridge itself. I'm afraid, or roller coasters, for example, I'm afraid of falling from high places and getting hurt or worse, spooky ooky. I am not necessarily afraid of the dog when it's far away but I'm afraid of what big angry dogs can do as a homeowner and a Floridian. It's not that I'm just afraid of the sound of thunder. I'm afraid of the potential damage that bad weather could have on my house or the houses of my loved ones and all of these different things. But you want to know what I'm really, really afraid of? Potential, otherwise known as the unknown, right? So y'all know I love a good definition. So, so let's get into these things. What is fear? Fear is an unpleasant emotion caused by the belief that someone or something is dangerous, likely to cause pain or a threat. It's to be afraid of something, anything like 
water, right? Or what water can do, like we previously stated, because it's likely to be dangerous or painful or threatening. So when I started looking at the information needed for us to do this episode, I really started trying to deduce that definition into a simple phrase. And this is what we came up with. Fear is the conclusion that we draw when we don't have enough information. Fear uses what we already believe to be normal or true and combines it with those small pieces of information that we get in new situations. And then it creates behaviors of fear in an effort to protect us or maintain order in our lives. Sometimes fear does come from very real threats, hurricanes, typhoons, other kind of natural disasters, right? If you are in the midst of one of these natural disasters and you start to visually see damage happening to your home, that fear response makes a lot of sense. But sometimes our fears come from imagined scenarios, things that have not happened, the potential of some of these things to happen. And that is a natural response for our physical bodies. It helps us stay safe. I'm sure you've heard of the flight, fight, or freeze response before. And if you haven't heard of it, we'll talk about it in later episodes. But what we've learned so far is that fear, when uncontrolled, can lead to distress or disruption. That is what we call anxiety or an anxiety disorder. When the behavior is not aligned with the presented threat. So me at the beach losing all control because I see a wave is not directly proportional to the threat itself. Me standing outside when the beach flag is red and I see all of these waves crashing in and it's raining and it's lightning and it's thundering and I'm freaking out is in alignment, right? So when we look at the science of it all, there's some very important things that we wanna look at. Fear turns into an anxiety disorder when the threat and the behavior to avoid it are out of an alignment. I teach something called the cycle of anxiety probably at least 10 times a week in my sessions with my clients. And the cycle starts the same every single time. It starts with an anxiety producing situation. And then that anxiety producing situation is going to create some symptoms that are typically uncomfortable. For example, sweating, or you're starting to get those butterflies in your stomach, or your heart is beating really fast. It's some kind of discomfort, either in your physiological body or you're having racing thoughts and that's happening in your mind. And we want to avoid those kind of uncomfortable feelings at all costs. So the next step in the cycle is avoidance. And when we look at avoidance behaviors, we're really looking at anything that'll get us away from the uncomfortable feeling that I'm having. For example, if you know you have a big presentation coming up at work the very next day, you're calling out sick. You're not sick. You just don't want to do the presentation. And you get that short-term relief from the fear created by those symptoms or the symptoms that were created by the fear. And you're like, whew. Dodge that bullet. The problem with the cycle of anxiety is that short-term relief, it turns into long-term growth over time. So let's say your anxiety-producing situation is an unhealthy relationship or a bad partner or something relating to your love life that makes you feel unwell. Your avoidance behavior then is going to be some kind of distraction. Either you're going to start engaging in relationships with people other than your partner, or you're going to start looking to drugs or alcohol to take some of the pain away. 
The problem is that's only short-term relief. Step number three, you end up in this kind of euphoric state where it's like, oh, that's not a problem anymore. I don't have to deal with it. But the problem is we are always teaching our brain something. So the next time you encounter that anxiety-producing situation and you taught it avoidance, it's going to just want to avoid it more and more and more, which leads to long-term anxiety growth and sometimes even puts you into a cycle of addiction because now your brain has learned when I feel this way, I have to do this thing. So every time you feel this way, you go and do that thing. And because you're making your anxiety worse, you feel that way more often. So then you start doing that thing more often and you just cycle and cycle and cycle and cycle and cycle. And the big question that I get a lot of times, especially from my clients is, how do I make it stop? One of my really good friends, and she's actually actually the producer on this podcast, she did a, a mime at our church years ago. And one of the paramount phrases in the music of the dance was make it stop, make it stop. And I hear my clients say this all of the time. I know I've said it and I've heard my friends say it. How do I make this stop? How do I get out of this cycle? I imagine that the woman at the well, she's our good friend here at the Life World Podcast. If you're just now joining us, pause, go back to the pilot episode so that you can understand why she's a friend of ours here. We take it easy on the Samaritan woman because we realize that she has similarities to us. I imagine that the situations she was in produced some anxiety. And her avoidance strategy was to not go to the well when the other girlies were going to the well because she did not want to experience whatever sensation happened in her body or her mind when they were talking about her or when they were whispering about her or when she thought they would be talking about her or whispering about her. So she just didn't go. She went in the middle of the day in an effort to avoid it. And she went in the middle of the day in the heat over and over and over again because her body did experience that relief from the anxiety, but she traded anxiety for isolation and thirst. And thankfully, Jesus met her there and brought her out of her trouble. But how many of us look like that? How many of us are avoiding things, avoiding people, going places, doing certain things over and over and over again because we want to participate in the avoidance more than we want to face the fear. And we hear people say that all the time, face the fear, face the fear. Well, how am I supposed to do that? Because the brain tells me I should run away. And the Bible tells me, do not be afraid. Several times, actually, it's the most repeated phrase in the Bible. Do not be afraid. But the Bible also says, fear God. Now, how does that work? How am I supposed to? Okay. Okay. And I've had people ask me this question and I've asked myself this question when I really started to try to get to know God for myself. Okay. Do not be afraid, but I am afraid. Fear God. Okay. How was this fear of him different than the fear that I have of water? And I'm so glad that the Bible put both of those things in there because it gives us a little bit of insight into the creativity that God had in mind when he made our body. So let's look at it. There are healthy fears and unhealthy fears. Fear as mentioned in Proverbs 9 and 10, let's read it. Let's see what it says in the Bible. Proverbs 9 and 10, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. In the Hebrew translation, the word fear as used in Proverbs 9 and 10 is yira. That is healthy fear. That is reverence. That is respect. That is acknowledging that he is the father of all fathers, that he is the one who knows all, sees all, has been, and will always be. And it gives us context for the fact that we should trust him and come to him with that mindset. We should fear him knowing 
that he is greater, bigger, and stronger. Not like be afraid, like, oh no, God's going to just smite me, but fear him in the sense of God is so great. He's so big. I don't want to just step to him any kind of way. Now we can come to God as we are, but we don't want to talk to him crazy. We don't want to treat our relationship with him as if it's common or normal or regular. We don't want to get too familiar with him. That is the kind of fear that is being talked about in Proverbs 9 and 10. But we also see the word fear or do not be afraid mentioned in other scriptures. There's a very popular passage of scripture that says, I will fear no evil. Also mentioned in the Bible, do not be afraid for I am with you. However, that fear comes from the Hebrew word. Let's read it correctly. Ama, which is unhealthy fear. It's translate, translated as terror or dread, that kind of like spooky ooky. That is, that's what God is telling us to to not do. In no way, shape, or form is he saying, don't respect me. That is healthy fear, having an understanding of who he is. But the Bible is reminding us not to have this kind of terror or dread or doom. You know why? Because God knows the kind of cycle of anxiety that that puts us in. It creates avoidance behaviors. This is the kind of fear that tells us we should run away from him. Whereas in Proverbs 9, that's the kind of fear that's telling us we should run to him, regarding and revering him as a problem solver, as a way maker, as a healer, and as a mind regulator. But that other kind of fear, it tells you to run away. That, that is the kind of fear that tells us you shouldn't believe in yourself. You shouldn't go and do the things that God has gifted you to do. There's, there's a fear on the other side of this where people are going to judge you. People are going to talk about you and those racing thoughts really get to spinning and judgment and kind of sweaty palms, our racing heartbeat, our body and our mind start to respond in a fearful kind of way because the cycle of anxiety got started and we ran away instead of running to our maker. God reminds us so often because we as humans get afraid so often. Now, some of you may not be afraid of as many things as I am, but I'm glad. I'm very grateful that God said in the Bible so many times, do not be afraid. God hasn't given us the spirit of fear for good reason, because he knows the cycle that it creates. When we link up with that spirit, we end up separating from God. And in that cycle, we end up in this spiral and that is movement. And if you're moving, that means you're moving in a direction. The cycle of anxiety moves you in a direction far away from God. Condemnation then is able to creep in because we venture away from Christ when we're in the cycle of anxiety. The woman at the well was not less loved by Jesus because of her deeds. She wasn't less loved by Jesus because she chose isolation over her fear of judgment, but she felt that way, right? And her emotions created behaviors that made her want to keep herself safe. And something that I talk about a lot in therapy, and I've gotten into, you know, some of the conversations with other professionals in the field about what emotions are for. Emotions are valid. Emotions are important. Emotions are a gauge. They are not a guide. They tell us where we are in the moment, but they don't give us much information about what we should do in order to move forward in a healthy way without context. So if you've ever gone into a building and you're like getting on the elevator and you see that sign of the map and there's a star that says you are here, that's what emotions are. And we use our emotions to be able to check in with ourselves 
and say, I'm feeling happy. This makes me feel good. I like the way that this food tastes. I'm getting this information through my senses, through my eyes or through my taste buds. And I'm recognizing that I like it or I don't like it. That's what emotions do. I'm afraid. I'm nervous. I feel odd. I feel off. This makes me feel uncomfortable. This makes me feel safe. That's what emotions do. That's that you are here star. Our faith, our logic, our reason, our communities, our compassion, our courage, our connection. Those are the types of things that give us information about what we should do next. But what do we like to do? We like to avoid. We like to run, much like the woman at the well, right? So we we are not going to gas ourselves up too much here. We understand what it's like to be human because we are human. So we get how the woman at the well felt, but she used her emotions as a guide and it led her into isolation. And that isolation made her lonely and thirsty. Simply stated, she was afraid and she was sad. The hard part about this is Jeremiah chapter 2 and 13 says, My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns, that cannot hold water. What is a cistern? It's any kind of device that they would use during this time to hold water. It could be a bucket, it could be a jug, it could be a cup. So therefore, a broken cistern would be like a cup with holes in it. You know what a cup with holes in it can't do? Hold water. It can gather it, but you're going to lose some along the way. That's what avoidance behaviors do. They fill us up for a little while. They make us think that, oh, I won't feel this pain if I smoke this or if I drink this or if I go this place or if I don't go that place. If I avoid this thing, I won't have to experience the uncomfortable emotion of it, but it doesn't last very long. It's that short-term relief from the cycle of anxiety, which ultimately turns into long-term growth. Jesus, however, he doesn't have holes in him, right? He has holes in his hands, but he got up off the cross. He rose on the third day. He can hold us. He can fill us with what we need to be able to sustain our lives Instead of running around in circles in the cycle of anxiety, we run to him and we tell him how we feel. We tell him, this is where I am. Where should I go next? That is how we navigate the cycle of anxiety. That is how we get out of it because he is the known thing in unknown situations. That's what I'm afraid of the most. I have a big, big fear of the unknown, but God knows. He knows all and he sees all and he's able to help us out of the cycle of anxiety because our avoidance behaviors, they don't break cycles. Jesus breaks cycles. Our avoidance behaviors create cycles and break us. They break up friendships. They break up marriages. They break up businesses. They break down our bodies because our hearts are racing. Our minds are circulating. Our sleep is irregulated and we cannot get into the space we need to be because our cycle of anxiety and our avoidance behaviors are taking control of our life. So whatever your avoidance behavior is, I hope that we've got something in our mind because you know at some point we're going to have some homework. I want you to know that it's not building you up. It's not filling you up. It's not doing anything but breaking you down. Jesus, he's the one that breaks cycles. He's the one that makes all things new, but we have to have that kind of healthy fear about who he is in order to have access to that. We have to revere him. We have to acknowledge who he is and who we are and where we are. We have to use that healthy fear in a way to make 
healthy choices for our lives and our body. Healthy fear says, hey, Catherine, go learn how to swim. Take some swimming lessons. Look at the tide flags when you go to the beach. Go to the beach with someone who can swim. Wear a life vest. How about that? How about that for strategy? Healthy fear says, prepare for your exam in advance. Healthy fear says, apply for the program. Prepare for the interview before you get there. Healthy fear says, trust that God will give you hope and a future after grief or heartbreak. That is what healthy fear does. Unhealthy fear just says run. That's it. No solutions. Just run. Keep running until you can't run no more. And from someone who has recently picked up on running, I can tell you this. Running in circles ain't never got nobody anywhere. And it never will. All right, so now let's get back to our question from the beginning. I'm gonna open up our, I did the homework assignment in advance. So we're gonna start off with, now what are you afraid of? Now, usually we dig deeper into my life in this segment, but I wanna get the reflection time started off a little bit early. Seriously, let's sit for a second. What are you, what are you afraid of? The, the category of the unknown is a pretty broad concept. Many people, will probably agree with me in the sense of, I'm afraid of what's next. I'm afraid of who I'm gonna be. I'm afraid of how I'm gonna pay my bills. I'm afraid of if I'll ever find, insert the thing you think you'll never find here. A lot of people can agree that that is something that they're afraid of. I really started to work on my relationship with fear, unhealthy fears, when I started looking at my avoidance behaviors. Now I am a grade A, 10 out of 10, Hider. That is my go-to avoidance behavior. When I feel afraid, you'll never see it because by the time you realize that I'm gone, I'm left the building, I'm in the car, I'm back home, right? If something is really, really terrifying me in a way that is going to devalue or take value away from my experience or make me experience any of those negative emotions, Catherine's going home. Or when I was a kid, I would hide in things i would hide behind people and sometimes we hide behind titles or we hide behind money so let's look at avoidance behaviors and what those different things can do to our life if you're in a room with someone who's intimidating and who makes you feel afraid what do you do now we know what i do i hide i'm either gonna leave or hide behind someone or something i'm gonna be on candy crush on my phone or something that is my default response i am going to hide if I have a big test coming up, another one of my avoidance strategies, because I'm afraid if I'll do well, counterintuitive, I'll delay. I won't study until the night before so that I won't have to experience the terror or the doom that we talked about in the last segment of the exam or whether or not I know the information. So I'll procrastinate. Procrastinating on challenging uh, tasks is an avoidance behavior for fears and anxiety, which gives you that short-term relief and ultimately a long-term growth. Let's look at my other avoidance behaviors. Something else that I do, which is kind of, I guess it comes from my childhood. I do hide behind people. And I used to quite literally physically hide behind my mom and dad in situations that made me uncomfortable, especially like, you know, if they're trying to introduce you to somebody who knew you when you were like a newborn and they're like, oh, I haven't seen you. I don't know you, ma'am. I don't know you. And now you're talking to me and you're in my personal space. So I would like hide behind my mom's leg or hide behind my dad completely. So, so that is something that kind of rang true my entire life. And now 
that I'm in this kind of adulthood space, the thing that is starting to scare me the most is what's next. See, when I graduated high school, I knew college was next. I wasn't 100% on where I was going, but I knew I was going to college. And even after college, I knew grad school was coming. The hard part was when I applied, I didn't get in. So all that faith I had that, oh, I know what's coming next. There's no need for me to be afraid. Do not be afraid. That was easy to do because I thought I had a plan. And then when I didn't get in, I got afraid because what's next? I delayed and avoided all of my therapist dreams because it was just too hard to face the disappointment or the rejection or just the sadness of my plan not going how I wanted. And I got afraid and I avoided the dream. And then when I was dating, I just knew marriage was next. They sing about it all the time. All the kids know the nursery rhyme. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby in the baby carriage. But for me, it was first comes love, then comes heartbreak. Wait a second, where's the marriage in the baby carriage, right? I wasn't afraid when I was dating, but when the relationship ended, I got really, really scared because I don't know what's next. Hello, there, there's no nursery rhyme about this guy. What am I? supposed to do with this fear of what am I doing or where am I going? So I started looking at my avoidance behaviors again. I convinced myself that I didn't want to be a therapist anymore when I didn't get into grad school hiding. I convinced myself that, okay, maybe relationships are for me. Do I even want to get married? Do I even want to have kids? Started asking myself that stupid question because I was afraid. I did not want to face the rejection or the scrutiny or the disappointment or the judgment. So I avoided it and I got very, very short-term relief but now I have even long-term, bigger anxiety about, well, will I ever get married? Will I ever have children? What, would I ever be a therapist? Will I ever have the life that I want? Because I took my emotions and used them as a guide instead of using them as a gauge and using God as a guide and using his word as the kind of thing that can get into my life. And I want you to do the exact same thing. So for our homework this week, I want you to draw out your own cycle of anxiety. And this is what something like that would look like. So I told y'all already, I'm afraid of water. So if I were to draw out my cycle of anxiety, at the top, the anxiety producing situation would be Catherine getting in the water. And my avoidance behavior is not going to the beach. No problem. Short-term relief, uh, but the long-term growth becomes an issue. I went to Jamaica a couple of years ago and that was the very first time I had stepped in like beach water and I felt seaweed for the very first time. Oh my goodness, I lost it. I was screaming and crying. All my friends were looking at me like, girl, what's wrong with you? Now my anxiety is even bigger because not only am I afraid of water, I'm afraid of seaweed. So no Caribbean vacations for me. I haven't been to a Caribbean island since because I am now afraid of two things. That anxiety got bigger from the short-term relief I thought not getting in the beach would do. So now I have stress because I've isolated myself. I can't participate in all the trips that my friends are going on because I know there's going to be water. And in that water, I think there's going to be seaweed and I don't like the uncomfortable feeling that it creates. So I'm not going to go on any of the vacations that people invite me to. But now I'm lonely. So I got to start hanging out with the people that's not going on the trips. For me, those people were people from my hometown, people that I probably should not have been hanging out with at all, people that I prayed to actually be free from. I'm compromising my socializing because I want to stay comfortable. And now I feel like God is mad at me. So I've done this avoidance behavior. I got this short-term relief, but it gave me even more anxiety because now I'm afraid that God's mad. Now I'm afraid of water, seaweed, and that Jesus is upset with me. 
So I avoided him. And that anxiety just continued to grow and grow and grow and grow and grow. So I want you to sit and I want you to map out your cycle of anxiety. I want you to identify your avoidance behaviors. I want you to look at how you can use healthy fear, reverence, respect, acknowledging that God is the seer. He knows all and he sees all. He's the one who can help us out of these situations instead of our avoidance behaviors being the thing that just kind of copes us through and coaxes us through, but it doesn't actually do anything for us. Jesus, he can do something for us because we saw him do something for the woman at the well. He broke the cycle and she was able to live a life. We didn't hear more about her after she left that well and she shared with Jesus that her intention was to share it with everybody else, the change that had happened in her heart. We don't get to know what happened after that. We do get to know what happens for you. When you break your cycle of anxiety, when you identify your avoidance behaviors on paper, you'll then begin to notice them in practice when you're in a space, for example, with me and I start hiding or I start cowering or I start hiding behind my degree or I start hiding behind my friends. I notice that my anxiety has been triggered. I'm able to sit and think about what did I engage with that triggered this anxiety. Go to God in prayer, use healthy coping skills because I go to therapy, even though I am a therapist, everyone needs to be in therapy. We've talked about this before. We're looking for the kind of clarity that helps us get back to God, not the kind of clarity that makes us just have superficial relief from an uncomfortable symptom. It happened for the woman at the well, and it can happen for you too. So although this podcast does not replace seeking counsel from a professional therapist or reliable pastors or ministers and elders in your local church, I do hope that we're able to find some help right here at the intersection of our faith and our mental health. We have homework on each and every episode, and I do encourage you to share your homework assignment with your therapist or the wise counsel in your life for you to continue to gain some clarity and understanding about yourself as we all build our wellness and heal and grow and learn more about ourselves and more about God. So as always, it is my prayer that this episode found you well and and hydrated and not thirsting after anything. But if it didn't, I hope that you become well and full as we seek after God and investigate ourselves and understand our cycle of anxiety and dispel our avoidance behaviors and run to him for hope and prayerfully through that process. We all stay well. I'm Catherine and this is the Life Well Podcast.